Welcome everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism, and as Associate Fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. There are two overarching principles behind the model of evangelism taught by CPE. First, we believe that God has called the Christian to gain an identity as an intercessor in their community. It is those intercessions that God particularly works through in preparing lives for the seed of the gospel. Second, we are convinced that there is no place where the Spirit is not already at work preparing people for a gospel dialogue built around His work of convicting people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Those two principles acted upon are resulting in many, many coming to Christ for life. To learn more on how God is using us to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local church fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now, if you can take your Bibles in hand, turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, where we will begin a consideration on the extensive love of God revealed and how it was He addressed us when He acted to save us from our sins. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. If you look at this passage last week, as we've been working our way through Romans, and we really are coming to another moment in which Paul is, is hitting another climatic expression of what he's trying to teach throughout the book of Romans. You remember two weeks prior to this, we spoke about the experiences that the Christian encounters because he's put his faith in Jesus Christ, because he's been justified by faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sins and the righteousness that Jesus Christ brings upon them when they trust and believe in him. We learned of three great experiences that become ours. The first one is we have peace with God. The next one is that we have access into this overflowing, abounding grace where God begins to pour out to us and pour out upon us all of the extensive benefits of that salvation. And then it says we rejoice in the hope of glory. In other words, those graces that begin to become ours when we trust in Jesus Christ only point us in a direction of an eschatological end in which we will enter into the full benefit of those glories. When we enter into that place where God is magnified and glorified forever before us, and we will be glorified with Him, and we will enjoy in a perfect state all of the satisfaction and benefit of that outflowing salvation that's come to us. Now, the individual looking at that might say, Paul, maybe that's all true, but right now we're suffering and we're being persecuted and we're going through great tribulations, and Paul doesn't even miss a beat. He says, and we glory also in tribulations. Because we see in all this that God is working within us a character, that as we endure that tribulation, there's a proven character that rises from our lives. We demonstrate that our faith was made of a substance that was not simply trying to fulfill us for a moment, us seeking some companionship or a moment of ease from some guilt that we had or a moment of which we rid ourselves of a touch of shame on our lives. 
but our faith fully and totally anchored in Jesus Christ. And therefore, because it was completely and totally anchored in Jesus Christ, it endured in the middle of a long, drawn-out tribulation. And that's the idea that was painted for us in that passage. That enduring tribulation, that enduring difficulty. You don't, by the way, endure a momentary time in which someone cuts you off in traffic, is what we said last week. You endure difficulties and hardships that you have to go through over an extensive period of time. And Paul says, it's okay. That's even something we rejoice in because these long enduring trials and tribulations only give proof as we endure to the real nature of our faith, the character, the true proven character of our faith. And then he says that that proven character of faith is expressed in a love of God that is poured abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we spoke of that love that we have for God as not simply God loving us, but us through the Spirit loving God back. And that it's this love of God that pours out from our hearts in the midst of tribulation that causes us to rejoice. That I rejoice in the midst of my trials and my difficulties and my hardships. When I go through great tribulation, when I discover that I've not just believed Him for my own benefit, but that my belief was anchored in and responsive to a deep, profound love for Him. A love that goes out for Him and that what makes my hope not ashamed. That's what proves the nature of the hope that I have in Him in that moment. Do you get the picture here? Do you get the picture? We have this experience when we come by faith in Jesus Christ where we just are so glad that we have peace with God. The hostility between us and God has ended. And we realize God has opened up a whole new world to us. We get in joy and we even begin to, as a result, look forward to His coming and that day in which we'll come to the end of this life, enter into eternal glorious life with Him. And this is tested by trials and difficulties and tribulations, but we find that we endure in those trials and difficulties and tribulations because our faith is true, the character of it is real, and the abiding expression of that character is not simply that we endure because... You know, we don't want him embarrassed or because we're just stubborn or because we're afraid of stepping out from what we publicly committed ourselves to and we want to save face. It's nothing like that. It, what causes us to endure is because we experience in the midst of the trial this rising tide of love for God. It's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul brings us to at the end of verse 5. And now Paul pivots from this expression and this experience of love to the great proof of that love of God. And now he speaks about the love of God and how it's proved to us. Individuals who look at verse 5 that I've just talked about will tell us that the love that's been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit is not our love for God, but it's God's love for us. They look at the text and say that's probably most accurate with the grammar that's expressed in that text, that it's really the experience of and the sensation of God's love for us. I'm not going to argue with them. I actually think that that's largely the case. However, I think it is demonstrably true that when you come into an outpouring of love upon your life, the way that you realize it, the way that you know that you're profoundly loved, your experience or encounter with that love is expressed in the love that pulsates back from you towards the thing that you're receiving that love from. In other words, a little child doesn't really sit around and evaluate how much his mother and father loves him or her. They don't think about that. But 
Then that child goes to school and learns how to make a little imprint of his hand into a little platter full of plaster, and they write their little name at the bottom of it, and they rush home to give it in adoration to their mother. Or the little child spends all day long working on a masterpiece in which they're drawing some depiction of playing catch with their father in front of the house. I remember myself drawing the little picture of my father and I rabbit hunting and going out with our little beagle hunting rabbits, then going and presenting that picture to them. And it's an expression of their adoration. They know. They don't know really how much their parents love them, but they know at some point they, they love their parents. They know they love their parents. But they don't give a thought to the fact that the love they have for their parents is merely a reciprocating of the greater love that the parent has for them. We don't learn that really until we have our own children. And then when we have our own children, we realize, wow, how much my parents love me. That sensation, that love, that appreciation, that valuing that I had for them was a resonance. It was just a resonating of the love they had for me. And all the more when we love God. That's why John says in 1 John 4, 9, we love Him because He first loved us. That's it. This impulse, this resonating, this expression of love that rises up for us, that, that endures even and even wonderfully expresses itself in the middle of our tribulations and difficulties is just a confirmation that we love Him because He first loved us. And so now what Paul is going to say to us in these next five verses is an expression of or is a evidence of this love that God has for us. He's going to, for a moment, seek to prove the love of God for us. And then he's going to show us how God's love came to us and the way God addressed us. And then finally, he's going to finish his statement by showing us how we are, in a sense, secured or brought into a great assurance because of that love. So let's look at this passage now that's before us, verses 6 through 10 that we've just read. And let's consider first this love of God that is proven to us. Paul anchors the testimony of God's love for us and that we receive from God. And he anchors it in the fullest expression of where God brings that love to us and demonstrates that love to us. And it's in the death of His Son in the place of our death and the offering of Christ's resurrected life to be provided for us so that we might have abounding life. It's His death in the place of our death and it's life, His life for our life. And that's what Paul will go to to prove and demonstrate how much God loves us. John 3.16, we learned it as children. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. These verses before us really are a commentary. They're Paul's commentary on John 3.16. The realities, all of the New Testament epistles, are in a sense commentary on John 3.16. Paul says in another place in Ephesians 5.25, that Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Jesus said that God sent His Son because he loved the world. Here Paul says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In Galatians 2.20, Paul speaks of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved the world, he loved the church, he loved me. 
He loves the world. He loves the church. He loves you. The demonstration of it is in his giving of himself for us. Again, John, the Apostle John describes this in 1 John 4.10. He writes this, And this is love, not that we loved God, remember he loves us first, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In this passage, Paul is going to illustrate this expression. He's going to prove this expression of God's supreme love for us and he's going to show it to us at least in three different ways. We can see it first that he shows us that God's love comes to us without conditions. God's love comes to us without conditions. It says in our passage, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is, he gave himself in death for the very ones who were calling for his death. He gave himself and offered up his body to those who took his body and flayed it with stripes. He gave himself and he offered up his hands and his feet to those who took his hands and feet and pierced them with their animosity. He gave himself and love and generosity to those who would mock his love and generosity in the midst of his sufferings. He sent his son to death for us. In this sense, God's love was unconditional coming to us. Now that doesn't mean that when God loves us and when we come upon God's love and we receive God's love, that God's love does not make demands upon us. His love always calls us away from our sins. But first, when His love comes to take hold of us and take us and bring us unto Himself, His love finds us in those sins and it suffers for them while we're in those sins. It's a love that is sacrificed for us without any condition being met on our part. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.